Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. I am your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. You know, that means it's the game plan. Carolina, Virginia Tech, high noon on Saturday in Keenan Stadium. Uh, Greg Barnes joins us after a long week and a long press conference yesterday from Mac Brown, Greg. But I want to go to that to start the show. And Jason, I'll bring you in here in a minute. Mac talked about expectations and offense and patience and the countless offensive coordinators um, that there are in the world. Um, including our very own uh, in, uh, inside Carolina offensive coordinator, right? Greg, Greg Barnes. Is that what, is that how that works? <laughs> well, that's where I was going. We're getting right. To... <laughs> For those of you that don't know why we're laughing, if you hadn't seen Mac's press conference from yesterday on YouTube, he, he mentions that there's probably some inside, no, excuse me, probably some offensive coordinators on that zoom call as well. Greg, in all seriousness, I think Carolina's expect, expect, expectations on offense are set a lot about or, or set because of how they did last year at times. Uh, your, your opinion on what folks should expect from this offense and why is it relevant and why is it maybe comparable to years past for Mac Brown? Well, I really think it's a, a situation where people tend to forget that North Carolina was seven and six last year. Uh, and they just focus on the, the stats of Sam Howe, which because he had such a phenomenal freshman year, it made everybody else look better. I mean, kind of hit some of those blemishes, right? And so what happens? I mean, we saw it with Trevor Lawrence most recently where a kid has a tr phenomenal freshman year. And coaches, especially this year, they're sitting around in the offseason with all their players at home because of COVID. What are they doing? They're watching film. And they're trying to figure out, okay, when we play North Carolina, what can we do to limit Sam Howell's effectiveness? And I think that's what we're seeing. Uh, the funny aspect of it, though, Tommy, is when Matt came in, because North Carolina had accomplished so little in the previous two years winning five games, you have to wonder, because it had been a while since he'd been back in the coaching realm, if he thought he would get more than one year of kind of buildup, right? But what happened was because they went seven and six last year and they had a good finish at the end, all of a sudden expectations were through the roof. And if Sam Howe wasn't putting up Heisman type numbers every single week, there's going to be criticism all around. And to Max's point, the goal is to win the game. Is it our best games yet? No, it's not. We have a lot to, a lot to improve upon. Uh, but I think he's a little bit frustrated that, that some people have been critical of how the offense has looked. Um, but it kind of reminds me, we talked about this off the air, uh, but a lot of people like to, to ream on John Shoup back a decade ago. 
And Butch Davis was incredibly dismissive of those criticisms saying, yeah, people used to criticize us at Miami when I was first there and we weren't having so much success. But when you start having some of the elite talents come in, all of a sudden we're running the exact same plays and we're scoring 42 points a game. Uh, and not that, not that Phil Longo is not going to adjust things, but the more talent that comes into this program, uh, the more explosive it's going to become. Are they going to have off weeks? Sure. Uh, but I found it a little bit interesting that the Mac seemed to be a little frustrated with some of the criticism directed the offense's way, considering that they've, they've scored enough points to win games. Jason, as far as expectations and creating pressure, does it create pressure for guys like Sam Howell? We've talked about Sam Howell enough. Let's talk about guys on the offensive line maybe that don't get any of the press um, but certainly get a lot of the criticism when the offense struggles. You know, where's the line there, expectations versus pressure? What's good, what's bad for a team like North Carolina? So I don't think, honestly, that there's a whole lot that the press or most people in terms of social media or whatever, that that really has a lot of impact once you get, once you get to game week in terms of pressure in terms of those sorts of things. Um, you know, if, if you're a player at this level, then your, your expectations for yourself are already going to be sky high. And the, the expectations of, of the guys that are going to be watching, watching film with you and are going to be clowning you if you, get, uh, if you get beat, that's really where the most pressure comes from. Um, the, I don't think that that's where the, pre- the pressure that can be difficult to deal with really comes from when you're, when you're dealing with higher expectations and all that. I think there's a couple other things that are bigger factors. Uh, one of which is that teams, teams are preparing differently for you when you come in with expectations. So last year, for example, and I know a lot of Carolina fans won't like to hear this, but last year, when I went back through, I've got the, I've got the coaches film of both the North Carolina and uh, North Carolina versus Clemson game and the Clemson versus Florida state game. And I can tell you right now, Clemson ran pretty much their base stuff against Carolina and wasn't fully like, I think they, they probably were caught by surprise by some of the stuff that, that Jay Bateman did. Uh, and that basically they, they didn't really give that, that film doesn't give the impression that they were holding back uh, or, or holding on, basically bringing out their, their uh, tendency breakers and all of that uh, in that game. They basically came into that game with their default. Here's what Carolina does. Here's what we usually do against it. And we're going to do that. And then you go, I think it was two weeks later with the Florida state game. And it's very clear that they came into that game treating it, even though that Florida state team was worse than last year's North Carolina team. If you talk about which team was better, Carolina was the better team. I don't think anybody knew that going into the season that that was going to be how it was. But when they, uh, when you watch that film, especially the first quarter and a half or so, when when Carol when uh, when Clemson just absolutely poured it on them, it was like up oh, tendency breaker, tendency breaker, tendency breaker. Oh, nice wrinkle on what they usually do. Oh, they use, and it was just repeatedly throwing change up when Florida State was expecting fastball and change up you know when they're expecting fastball, throw curveball in the fastball count, all these different things that basically showed that they were regarding that Florida state game as still a rivalry game. 
which it is for Clemson, and they prepared differently. I can tell you right now that if Clemson plays North Carolina this year, they're going to prepare completely differently. And it'll be a lot closer to how they, how they came into the Florida state game in terms of wrinkle break uh, or uh, wrinkles, tendency breakers, different things like that, because Carolina now has become one of those teams that Clemson needs to knock down. That's the way that they're going to think about it. Same thing with every other team on the schedule. When you become one of the top two say programs in your division, all the other teams in your division circle that game and they're going to bring in a few additional wrinkles that, that you ha- you can't really be prepared for fully and you have to be able to handle just a few additional things. So that's one thing that I think affects these things that that's an impact on expectations. And I think the other, the other thing that really uh, impacts uh, expectations and it's sort of in a weird way is when players start to hear on social media that something is the coach's fault instead of it being their fault, like, Oh man, they're not using you. Right. Oh man. Like, I can't believe that, you know, you're not playing here. You should be that stuff that has impact that has real impact. And if the culture of the team isn't strong, that's the sort of thing that can get the players to stop listening to coaches at times and can lead to serious problems. Uh, and we saw that toward the tail end, you know, last couple of years of the last staff where basically that stuff had filtered in and infected the locker room enough that it, it was over. Now there were other, other issues in play, but it just reinforces anytime there's something negative that happens when there's more expectations from outside. If players start to hear criticism that basically excuses them and can blame anybody else, it's human nature to want that to be true. That's an interesting take there. That's something we could explore in great detail um, over the last, or could have explored over the last several years, um, especially what was it, 2014, that they almost imploded, Greg, um, before the 2015 season. Maybe it was 13. Anyway, back in the other staff, I think Mac Brown's presence and his staff's presence certainly has a lot to do with tamping down any of that. And especially when you're a top 10 team, 2-0, and Greg, you've got a Virginia Tech team coming in. That is had Carolina's number. I mean, there's no other way to put it other than a couple times over the last eight seasons. Greg, how big a game is this for North Carolina football? I think it's an incredibly important game. Um, you know, North Carolina, the way the schedule sets up, it's beneficial for UNC. We've talked about that a lot. Uh, and, and part of that is because they've avoided some of the better teams in the league. Uh, you don't have to play Clemson. Don't have to play Pittsburgh, Louisville. We'll see exactly how they turn out, but I think that's a, a pretty decent team. And then your other opponents in Notre Dame and, and Miami are at the very end of the year. And so the, the one team that we talked about coming into the year that you know, should be a top 25 team was Virginia Tech. And so, uh, you know, this is a game where because you – you don't want to handicap it to the extent of saying you're really playing for one, one slot in the ACC title game, but you essentially are, right? I mean, you have Clemson's already going to be penciled in there. And so now you're talking about Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Miami, Notre Dame. Uh, those, those are your top contenders right now. So considering North Carolina plays three of those teams, um, you've got to win a couple of those games if you want to have a chance to go to the you know, title game against Charlotte, in Charlotte against Clemson. And this is this is an important one because if you if you lose this one, 
Well, now you really have to wait to the end of the year and pull for some teams to beat Notre Dame and Miami to kind of give you a chance there those last two weeks. If you win this game, now all of a sudden you have the chance to really, I don't want to say coast, you have a, a chance to go into some games knowing that you're the favorite and having the opportunity to continually uh, add wins to your record to where maybe you can get to those final two games, you're possibly at 9-0. Well, I guess not 9-0, 8-0, um, potentially, you know, 7-0 going into those, those weeks in, in November. So I think it's a critically important game from that standpoint. And then when you get into – and this is one thing that I asked Mac Brown on Wednesday. Like, a lot of things – are the same from when he was here last time, right? I mean, you know, the recruiting is the same. He's picked up where he left off there. Rivals are pretty much the same. Virginia Tech was not in the ACC at that point in time. Um, and this is before you know, the uh, Michael Vick era. So it's really before they exploded on the, on the scene nationally back in the late 90s. And so the Virginia Tech rivalry, especially on the recruiting trail, is, is a new thing for Mac. Um, and he kind of glossed over it a little bit with Coach Speak, which is – which is fine. Um, but as you mentioned, Tommy, I mean, Virginia Tech's won four in a row. I think UNC's one in seven at home against Virginia Tech uh, since the Hokies joined the ACC back in 04. So there, there's a lot of reasons for North Carolina to want to win this game. Uh, and they've done a good job shutting down the border uh, recruiting-wise. But if you can, you can take advantage of this weekend and win this game, not only are you putting yourself ahead in the standings, but you can finally say, you know what? Virginia Tech had their run. It's over. Uh, we're, the, we're the team in this region right now for everybody to contend with. Let's move ahead. Interesting point there about Clemson on one side. Basically what this year has done is created a 14-team coastal division. Right. Yep. You know, and that's so uh, – you're right. you got to beat the teams that are expected to be there. Jason, looking at Virginia Tech, I mean, from the, from the recruiting standpoint, this may be why Mac may be – glossed over it he, he talked about guys don't pick schools based on who wins and loses games I mean you can't have dominance on one side but Carolina's dominated Virginia Tech on the recruiting trail at least since Mac got back and they've lost four straight to him so that's that's kind of a weird thing that's going on so how how is Justin Fuente and we'll get into more detail after the break but how is Justin Fuente given their struggles recruiting the last couple of seasons, how is he keeping this going? Is it just purely um, relying on the talent that was there that is still there from early on, or is there some special formula that he and his staff have um, put together that allows them to be successful on any given Saturday? Transfer you. Yep. <laughs> Did not think about that when I asked the question, to be honest with you. But, I mean, look at who their players are this year. I mean, I'm looking right now at Khalil Herbert's numbers and 12.44 yards per carry through two games. That's, uh, that's, what, that's pretty good. 17.3 yards per carry against North Carolina State in the opener. And that guy wasn't on the roster last year. He's a he, he's a transfer from from Kansas. And the quarterback that they've been starting is a transfer from from Oregon. So they've they've had a lot of turnover and turmoil, frankly, on their roster. But they've managed to replenish with with the transfer portal largely at some key positions. And they've also done a pretty good job. I mean, Foster always did a really good job of identifying guys that would fit the kind of defense that they play up there. 
and those guys are still in the are still in that in that uh, program for the most part, and so they're going to be they're going to continue to be pretty good on that side of the ball indefinitely until you know that that starts to trickle out and they'll have to do something to to change that they'll have to actually do a, a poorer job of evaluating and and getting those guys into the program. But really, this year, most of all, it's it's having some key transfers that have. I mean, it's like Miami as well. It's key transfers that have helped those programs stay afloat. That's a great point. They don't have those transfers, though, on, on the lines. And Virginia Tech's going to be tough on the lines. We'll talk about that after the break. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. You need to go visit them. Football stuff, mm. home gating. I always try to say tailgating with home gating. You, it, well, some people might be able to do some semblance of tailgating in Chapel Hill this weekend. I don't know how much the Chapel Hill police will allow it or the campus police, but anything you need regarding that home gating supplies, tailgating supplies, anything you need football wise, face coverings, you need a mask to go see a game at Keenan stadium, go get it at Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street beforehand, locally owned alumni operated. It's a family owned business that we need to support, especially these days, especially in 2020. And it's getting a little chilly, even though as I look outside today, it's like 85 degrees here and hot sweatshirt weather ross martin talks a lot about going to johnny t-shirt and getting all his sweatshirts well they've got plenty of them and if you like the long sleeve t-shirts they got them too you can shop in store on franklin street so if you're up there saturday for the game go do that in store you got curbside service or you can go to johnny t-shirt online and they'll ship it right to your door you can't beat it great sponsors and 10 percent off if you're inside carolina premium subscriber take another short break let the big guys pay their bills. We'll be right back. Talk about the game plan portion of the game plan podcast. Tommy Ashley, Greg Barnes, and Jason Staples. We'll be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, fellas, we're back. Inside Carolina Podcast, the Game Plan Podcast. Greg Barnes coming to you first. Now, here's something that I've always found interesting this week listening to uh, – Carolina, Mike Brown, Jay Bateman, they were shocked at what Boston College did. There's not too many times that a, a coaching staff is completely shocked at a game plan that a opponent throws out there. I don't think there's any doubt what Virginia Tech intends to do against North Carolina, do you? No, and that's, that's kind of the crazy thing because you, <laughs> if Jay Bateman had known what BC was going to do, he wouldn't have tipped his hand with his uh, defensive scheme that he rolled out there the first couple of possessions. Uh, which is inserting came on Rucker and, and playing a five-man front. Uh, and then, I mean, what happens? I think it was 15 of BC's first 16 first down plays. They pass the ball. 
Uh, David Bailey averaged four yards per carry in the game, but they only handed the ball off to the running backs 10 times. It's just crazy, but crazy, whatever. Um, yeah, there's no, no question what Virginia Tech is going to do. Uh, and uh, well, you know what? I'll take that back. They should, and they will run the ball with uh, Khalil Herbert. Um, and I think his is a great story, you know, transferred from Kansas. And he was kind of the, I mean, kind of what a hell of pit that place is in terms of college football. They've won 21 games in 10 years. Uh, but if you look at his stats, uh, you know, they were, he was averaging, I think, 5.7 yards per carry at Kansas at 1,700 yards in his career. So when you, when you look at that offensive line and then what he was able to do behind it, this is not like a kid that's a fluke. Now, is 12.4 yards per carry flukish? Yeah, of course. But he's a good back. That's, that's the point. So they're going to lean on him. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the quarterback position because uh, Burmeister did not throw the ball good against Duke. He really struggled in that regard. He's, he's a good runner. He's quick. Uh, and so they were able to lean on Herbert a lot. Uh, Hendon Hooker, sounds like he may be back for this game. How much he actually plays, we'll have to wait and see. But he's a guy that gives them more options in the passing game. And that's why I say it may not be as clear as watching what Virginia Tech has done the first two games. Maybe they decide to mix it up a little bit. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, but you, Jay Bateman, because he's got so many smaller guys up front, we don't know about uh, Ray Vahasek. Uh, he left the game, did not return. Uh, some concern whether or not he'll be able to play on Saturday. If you lose him up front, uh, that, that's a big loss for, for North Carolina. And so it really becomes a matter of what does Jay Bateman do uh, to limit that run game? Because Virginia Tech is going to, if they can dominate on the ground, which is what they did last year, uh, then they're going to do that. That's, that's what Justin Fuente wants to do. Uh, but if North Carolina... Uh, and Jay Bateman's really able to stop them. Is it because they go with another five-man defensive front? Uh, you can do that when you have you know, linebackers like Jeremiah Gimmel and, and Chas Rat, who are so quick laterally that you can cover a lot of stuff uh, you know, out, out in space. Um, but then you also have to talk about, okay, is, is Conley, J.Q. Conley, is he going to be healthy enough to play? There's some question about that nickelback. So maybe you have Welton Spotsville, who was a wide receiver last year, having to play a lot of snaps at nickel, Ugh, right? Um, and so you, I would assume you're going to see much more of a uh, you know, kind of a four to three, five two look. Um, but that, that's that's kind of where we stand right now. We we'll have to see exactly how it plays out. Jason, the twelve point four, whatever you you would think, and I don't have it in front of me. I know his long runs sixty yards, but you would think he's had plenty of twenty and thirty yard runs to to get those stats up, but. Tell me if I'm crazy. Running backs, elite or good running backs against North Carolina don't appear to me to pose as much of a threat as an elite or a good running quarterback. And Virginia Tech has three of them. Burmeister can do it. Hendon Hooker's capable. And then Quincy Patterson, we know what he did um, against Carolina last year when he got inserted late. So Jay Bateman's got a dilemma. Uh, where does he slide the uh, where does he slide the goods to cover that dilemma in your in your mind? Is it the five two look? Is it going uh, four three? I mean, what's he do? Because I think Carolina, if Virginia Tech does not run it, if they come out and throw it more than they run it, and Carolina beats them, I think Justin Fuente doesn't need to go back to Blacksburg. I think it would be that poor a game plan for Virginia Tech. Well. 
I mean, I think I think Bateman is is going to avoid uh, being roped into one particular front or one different one, one particular approach. I do think he's going to crowd the crowd the line of scrimmage in this one. So we'll see something closer to what we did early against Boston College when they were expecting them to run it a little bit. So I think we'll see some of those some of that five two type look more in this game. Uh, but I, I think we'll see some even fronts as well. I think we'll see uh, a variety of different things. To me, a lot really hinges in this game. A lot of the success hinges on whether Vohasek is, is healthy. And if he's able to play, then I think that gives Carolina that gives Carolina a lot more opportunities to um, a lot more opportunities to uh, to stop the run with guys that are actually winning on the inside, on the interior. And without him, they just don't have. <laughs> We got a flag on the field. We got a flag. All right. So without him, I don't think they have um, the uh, the same level of of players on the inside, and that's that's really to me the biggest concern. It's not about what front they're in or whatnot. They're still going to have to cover a good eight uh, eight gaps, no matter what, whether it's in a five five two or in a four three. Uh, or, you know, bringing an eighth guy up uh, in, in, you know, in an eight man front type thing, you still have to cover the same gaps and what specific front he uses is going to be less important than whether or not guys are able to win their matchups. And the reason that the running quarterback thing, as you brought up is such an issue here is the running quarterbacks are essentially able to create another gap. They're able to, to gain an additional blocker, when the, when the quarterback has the football. And that's how they beat Carolina last year. Carolina was able to stop their running game last year until actually it was, it was sort of a, a, a bad break in that Virginia Tech's starter, if you remember, their starting quarterback got hurt. And when their starter went out, all of a sudden they were able to run it better because their backup was running it better. And so, you know, that's, I think, a huge concern. They're going to play 11-man running game. They're going to run the football with both the running back and the quarterback. And that's the concern in this game. And, and especially, I mean, you mentioned if Hooker is able to play, he's able to run and throw a little bit better than the rest of them. So yeah, it's a concern. And with if, and a lot of it to me, a lot of the success is contingent on how on Bohasic's health. And I think that also impacts how they plan for this one, because you can kind of get, put him in a zero technique and have him beat the center and gain a gap by doing that. I don't think you can do that as much with anybody else on that team. Greg, assuming Vahasic's down, let's, let's go worst case. Assuming Vahasic's down, Conley's out, and Storm Duck is out, I think that might be a fair assumption. We'll see. Who does Jay Bateman lean on maybe that we hadn't talked about a lot this year? You mentioned Welton Spotsville um, at the nickel. But on that line or in that secondary, who, who's got to step up? Uh, everybody. I mean, that's, that's the that's challenge. That's too easy now. I didn't ask you uh, as a team game. I, I, I mean, said specifics. <laughs> who's proven it? I mean, that, that's really the question. You know, in training camp, we heard really the guys that they were comfortable with uh, was, was Tamari Fox, uh, Ray, Jalil Taylor, and Zach Gill. I don't know that Zach Gill even played against Boston College. Um, Kamon Rucker, you know, is, is a guy that they really like, but he's He's 255. He's more of a kind of a defensive end type player. So you're not really going to put him on the interior. So you're looking, you know, if Vahasek can't go, uh, Jalil Taylor and, and Tamari Fox. And they're going to have to play a ton of snaps. 
Now, I think Miles Murphy has a ton of potential. I think he'll be a great player for him. Um, do you have to force feed him in this game? Just say, hey, you know what, we're going we're going to take the uh, we're going to take the wheels off and, and see how you do in, in this type of setting because we don't have any other choice. And that's what we're getting down to. They're just so razor thin along the defensive front. And that's one of the things. If this game was later in the year, you'd have more reps and more opportunities to, to build these guys up in terms of snaps. And Mike Brown's talked about that's really one of the things that hurt with losing that Charlotte game is that was an opportunity for them to get a lot of guys a lot of snaps. You didn't have that. And so what are we seeing against Boston College? Like nobody played. It's really just your starters that got the bulk of the, the snaps. Um, and so you're going to have to rely on some guys like that probably unless you just want to lean heavily on Taylor and Fox. And that's, that's a tall ask. So how do you combat that? Uh, do, you, do you just throw a bunch of blitzes in there, which really isn't Jay's thing. He likes to send guys from different directions to get pressure with four as best he can. But if North Carolina, you can't rely on their front four to consistently win at the line of scrimmage and at least you do some damage in the run game where Chaz and Jeremiah can come up and get some stops, uh, you're going to have to expose yourself on the back end. And depending on what Virginia Tech can do in the passing game, that could be problematic. Jason, where do you work in depth? This was, this was part of the interesting discussion I thought from Matt Brown's presser on October 7th is where do you as a coordinator, as a position coach, as a head coach, work in guys in games that matter? There are no gimmies this season, really. Maybe I'm in a couple of weeks in Keenan Stadium. But huge game, huge program game. You got to have some depth. You got to get some guys rest. So how do you do that during the course of a game, a guy like Miles Murphy? Because I think he needs to just play. A guy like Des Evans. Uh, Mac mentioned doing it inside the 20s. Well, if Herbert gets loose, they might never ever get in the red zone and they're going to score every time. So where does it come from? This is a this is a question where, to be honest, if I knew the answer, uh, you'd make more I'd, money than I'd be making that. more money. Because <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'll, I'll give you a, a, just a brief story from from my own coaching experience on this. That you know, coaching wide receivers, we had some some good talent at Jordan when I was there, and uh, and we had some guys down a little bit below them that I was trying to develop as well. And also just trying, I mean, guys that are working hard in practice and at the high school level, you want to make sure you're rewarding that and getting guys some, some time as well. And so you're always trying to squeeze some reps for, for this guy or that guy, even though it's taken one of your better guys off the field. And also you're accounting for, you know, guys that are playing both ways, that sort of thing, and are tired. So you're, you're, you're constantly juggling that. But to go back to, there was a game where uh, I'm shuffling guys in and out as best I can, mostly between the 20s and trying to, you know, this guy gets three reps here, three reps there. And just, you know, all right, you come out, you come out. I'm, I'm trying to guess on what the situation is, what the likelihood that the ball's going to go there, that this guy can actually do this versus that. And then we get to a situation where I think it's a third down and, uh, and I've got a, uh, I've got a younger guy on the field and turns out that he comes open quarterback goes to hit him and it would have been a clear touchdown and he just flat out dropped it. And my starters standing next to me going, come on, coach, you know, I'd have caught that. We, that, that'd have been another touchdown, man. Come on. And I'm, and I sat there and I looked at him and I said, yep, my bad. I'm sorry, man. 
<laughs> because I'm trying the best I can to get a younger guy enough reps. You're going to have to drop a ball once in a while just to be able to catch him in the future in that. But by shuffling around, I almost certainly cost us a touchdown. Uh, that ended the drive and we didn't score. And that's the thing is that, you know, on the flip side, I can choose to play to run my, my starters into the ground and they're probably going to make that catch. And we're probably going to be a little better off, but then next year we're not going to be as good. And then also we had guys go down with injury and then you're not, your guys completely not ready. So you're always juggling this as a coach and there's really no right answer to it. What you're trying to do is you're trying to work guys in, in the situations that you're just, you're calculating is going to hurt you the least. <laughs> and, and that's going to be different depending on what got, what teams you're playing on down and distance on location, on the football field, on game situation. Are you up by seven? Are you down by seven? Is it second quarter? Is it fourth quarter? All of those things have impact on how you're going to approach that question. And like I said, I didn't get it. I haven't gotten it right every time. And you just, you're, you're not going to get it perfect. Uh, the best principle is, you know, a lot of times you, you make sure that, that you're putting guys on the, on the field in situations that are asking them to do what they're already best at. So if you've got a, a defensive line, a young defensive lineman who can rush the passer, but he's a little bit suspect on other stuff, then you start to get him reps on third down on clear third and long passing situations where he's going to be rushing the passer nine times out of 10. And you do that when it's, you know, when it's minus territory, when they're not in your, on your side of the field. And you, you know, that's the sort of thing that you're doing. Or if you've got a defensive tackle, who's really good at stopping the run, but not as good, you know, against the pass, then you put them on the field for first and second down when the ball's on your, on your 30 or on their 30, not on your 30, but on their 30, you do things like that, where, you know, you put a, you put a guy on the field where he's having to block for a screen pass when you know, he's been doing that well in practice the whole time. There's any number of things that you're trying to do to minimize how much a guy can hurt you while maximizing how much experience he can get. Yeah. And Tommy, I'll give you two anecdotes from what we've seen out of Jay Bateman. North Carolina goes up 14 to three against Boston College. The very next possession, his defensive line included Des Evans, Miles Murphy, Kamon Rucker. So they're in a position where if everything goes very poorly, you still got to lead. Uh, and then the other thing is one thing we saw late in the game is what we saw last year. And I think this is, uh, I don't know if this is a tendency or, or what, but last year, because Jay really only had Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge to lean on in the middle. There were various drives where he would put other guys in on first and second down. And if it got to third down, it was like a third and four and he could get off the field. He would sub those guys in and they would come in on third down to try to get off the field. We saw that against Boston college late in the game. A couple of times we had whoever was on the field in the middle third down came around Vahasek and Tamari Fox came back in the game to try to get off the field. So those are, those are techniques that, that he's trying to utilize to still reps for guys, give them experience without really putting his team in harm's way. Over under on how many snaps Jeremiah Gimmel and Chaz Surratt play? Every single one. I agree. I think all. Yeah, I would say all and 
then you add uh, you you got to figure on how many snaps they're going to be, and this they're going to there's going to be a lot of running the football in this game, so probably the clock will be running a lot, so maybe not as many snaps as you think. So I'd I'd set the over under about seventy about seventy snaps. Interesting. Something we'll check back in on next week. I agree though; they're not coming off the field as long as Virginia Tech has the ball. Real quick, we've got a we've got a pretty long podcast going here, but I want to talk about the offense. We talked about the expectations earlier in the show, Greg. Um, is this a game really that maybe Carolina can make some hay doing what they want to do? Um, or do you see Virginia Tech more of the same? I know COVID got right many of the Virginia Tech D-backs over the first two games. I think they're supposed to all be back in some form. But uh, Carolina's approach on offense here. I think this game is pretty easy in terms of figuring out what Virginia Tech wants to do. Um, you mentioned all the – uh, Virginia Tech defensive backs that were out last week, they do expect to get some of those guys back. But, I mean, they had to start a walk-on at safety. I mean, that's how thin they were um, in, in, in the secondary. And that's problematic. I mean, you can do that against Duke, right, and have some success. But they still gave up 31 points. Um, I think where Virginia Tech has uh, success and where they're capable is in getting pressure. They've had – 13 sacks in two games. So six and a half per game. North Carolina's given up three sacks per game. And if there's a blemish really for Sam Howe, I know we've harped on the deep passes. That's kind of an anomaly more than anything. Uh, and this goes for a lot of quarterbacks, but specifically with, with Sam, he struggled this year when put under pressure. Um, he's, you know, 23 dropbacks under pressure. He's three of 10 passing, touchdown, interception. He's been sacked six times. Uh, Virginia Tech has the the options, especially, you know, do we know if Josh Azudu is going to be back? How's Jordan Tucker? Well, like he injured a knee last week. Uh, we'll have to wait and see exactly what their status is going to be uh, at game time. But if Virginia Tech can get pressure and they can, they can force North Carolina into some third and long situations, that's how they have success. That's how they have a chance to win this game. If Sam Howe has plenty of time to sit back there in the, in the pocket, I think he's going to have a field day um, and Virginia Tech can score some points for sure. But at that point, Virginia Tech would have to win a, a significant shootout. Uh, and I, for me, that's really the, the key offensively for UNC against that Virginia Tech defense, protect Sam Howe, give him some opportunities to throw the ball down the field and you'll have a lot of success. Jason, you agree there? I, I do think it'd be a shootout. I, I think you're looking at a, both teams in the thirties, maybe upper thirties, but what's your thought, Jason? Yeah, I, I agree. I think, I think this game is going to have some points scored. Uh, and I think it's going to be an entertaining game. Uh, probably in keeping with the last couple of years, pretty close football game. And uh, you know, I, I, I think there's not a whole lot that I disagree with there. The, the one thing that I think is, is something to keep your eye on is, uh, is Virginia tech has a couple, couple guys that have, have already flashed, in terms of pass rush uh, that I think are, are a concern coming in against Carolina's offensive line. And I, I think Carolina's offensive line by and large is a, is a talented group, but the, the biggest concern is Amari Barno to me, a uh, six, six defensive end who can really bend that edge. He he's, I think going to be a real tough matchup for, for Carolina coming from the offense's left side uh, and you know, you're looking at this is really the first big test for a first year starter at left tackle. And and that's going to be that's something that I'm going to be watching early to see how how well he holds up against against that pass rush on third down. 
uh, in particular. And they also have, you know, uh, Emmanuel uh, Belmar already has three sacks on the year. Uh, number eight is another guy to keep your, 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 uh, your eye on. And Virginia Tech will move those guys around. They're going to stem their front. They're going to stunt. They're going to do all sorts of things to cause problems up front. And they're going to test Carolina's offensive line. This is, I think, the toughest test that they'll have faced. And they've had, you know, they've been, they've been pretty good overall on the year. But there have been a few places where there have been some hiccups, particularly against some pressure looks and against some stunts and all that. And Virginia Tech will test that. Uh, so that's something to keep an eye on uh, in terms of what, what Carolina is going to face there. I think most, mostly uh, Carolina is going to try to take advantage of, of some, some places where I think they'll have an edge in the secondary. But I think there's going to be a lot of points scored on this, uh, in this game overall. And, and we're probably looking at a game, in, like you said, with both teams in the 30s. Let me stick with you real fast. Uh, you, you did a video segment on the blitz pickups by the running backs. How huge is that this weekend? Oh, it's a big deal. Uh, and I think it's an even bigger deal. I mean, the, the third video this week was on Howell getting rid of the football to the right spot on time against a blitz package, which he's not always done this year, and he certainly didn't do last year. And that's something he's going to have to do in this game. He's going to have to be willing to come off the guy he wants to throw to to go to the guy, to go to the right guy. And, uh, and there, there've been some times where he's locked on to, to, uh, to the slot in particular. And we all know he loves to throw to Daz, but teams know where he likes to go. And they're going to, they're going to bring pressure and try to drop guys into, into lanes where they know he's going to want to go against some of that pressure. And he's going to have to be able to diagnose that and get it out quickly uh, because they will, they will bring some pressure in this game. Uh, the other thing is <laughs> Carolina's running backs can make life a lot easier on, on Howell just by continuing to run the football the way that they have. If they're able to run the ball on this Virginia Tech team, that does simplify a lot because you're, you're playing from in front of the chains instead of behind them, and it's a, it's a whole different game when you're doing that. Yep, you got to be clean, too, in the penalty area, the, the offensive line penalties, the fault starts and things like that. Uh, if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you've not watched Jason's videos on the, the video breakdowns on YouTube and on the message boards, you need to check them out. I mean, they're they're worth price of admission for Inside Carolina subscribers and definitely can learn you some things, um, as we say, in the country sometimes. Greg Barnes, it's pick time. I'm going to start with you this time. You made a lot of noise in preseason pick uh, pick them, so we won't talk about that again. Made it made a lot of money, too. Uh, how's this one shake out? Carolina, Virginia Tech, Keenan Stadium. Tommy, you let me know how many guys Virginia Tech's going to have available, and I'll give you an accurate pick. How about that? It works the same way for both teams. So I'm going to call you at 11.55. Yes, it's, it's um, going to be that. It's, it's picking in the dark. It really is. The and that's uh, – that's one of the crazy things about this year. We knew it was going to be this way for some games. Uh, you, the fact that somebody made the, the point on the message board, you know, how is Virginia Tech getting so much credit, but UNC is not? Great point. Um, and you know, the easy answer to that as well, UNC is number eight, Virginia Tech's number 19. So nationally, it's not accurate. However, locally, I think it probably is accurate, and it's because I mean, Virginia Tech's had two games where they've been missing 20-plus players. Now, how many of those guys were walk-ons or backups? Yeah, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't sound as good as 20-plus, right? It's like when UNC had 20 guys out for an injury two or three years ago. Some of those guys were, were walk-ons, but it is what it is. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's very challenging to, to pick this one. I agree with Jason. 
Uh, I, I think this is going to be a very competitive game. These always tend to be, unless you have a hurricane come through, which you know, we'll see. Um, but I, I do think North Carolina, uh, I picked them in the preseason. Uh, they're chalk this week. They're at home. This is a big game. Virginia Tech, while the running game is very stout, uh, I have questions about their quarterback play. And for me, that's that's kind of what gives me uh, the opportunity to, to nod towards North Carolina. And so I've got North Carolina winning this one 42 to 31. 11-point mm, win, a cover. Backdoor cover, yeah. Jason. Yeah, I, I really want to know who's playing on both sides here. I mean, as I said before, you know, Vohasic is really key on this one to me. Um, and obviously Storm Duck is an important, an important guy on that defense. And, you know, it's possible Carolina is not going to have either one of them in this game and maybe longer uh, for, for, for that. So that's something that if I, if I, if I had a clear sense of who, who was playing for Carolina, and a clear sense of who was playing for Virginia Tech, I'd feel I'd feel a lot more comfortable. Um, the concern for me in this game is that I think it's a it, the matchup is not the best one for Carolina, just in the sense of Virginia Tech is really good running the football, and they're good running the football with backs and quarterbacks. And I just I think with Carolina's defensive front, without Vohasic. I, that that if they don't have Ohasic, I, I think that that could be a real problem. So I'm going to pick as though they don't. Then we'll just we can you can adjust my pick up by you know basically uh, we'll say uh, Ohasic is worth about a touchdown on defense for that in this game, and he might not be worth that much, but let's just say we'll we'll say that's our, that's our factor there. Given that, I would say um, if Ohasic doesn't play, and assuming Duck doesn't play, I'm going to go with. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, 41, North Carolina, 38. Interesting. I'll give you, I'll give you that, you know, if, if then, or either, or I'm not picking it. I'm going to pick it on the, you coward. I'm, of course, I'm okay. <laughs> I go listen to the, I probably shouldn't even say this, but there's an, of course, but maybe that, that uh, Louis <laughs> C.K. does. That's hysterical. Well, I'm going to, uh, save my pick for, of the Inside Carolina Live show on 97.9. You have to listen to that between 9 and 11 on Saturday. And and I'm waiting for Greg Barnes to call in with any last-minute news. Now, I, I believe I picked Virginia Tech in the preseason show. And the reason I did that, if I did, I can't remember, to be honest. Sorry, I'm sure Buck will call me out. <laughs> I, I think that in, until Carolina shows they can beat these guys, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech. Um, so that shows the way I'm leaning. And I agree with you, Jason. Vahasic is huge. Um, the one thing that concerns me for North Carolina, either way, is that teams that can run the ball consistently um, seem to have more success than teams that throw it consistently because there's too much that can go wrong passing. Anyway, I'll yeah, say – And it's a tough ask for – you know, I think Jay Bateman is one of the best in the game, but it's really hard to – to to beat a team that can run the football on you simply because of personnel. Yeah. And, and, you know, and in Carol, until Carolina shows it, but I, I I think I think it's a shootout either way. I'll pick on Saturday about 10:55 a.m. Sorry boys, I'm not getting on record on this one quite yet. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina Game <laughs> Plan podcast. 
sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Jason Staples and Greg Barnes have joined me. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by johnnytshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.